Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, the place to get to know the people of Austin and how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse, and sitting across town on a rainy hilltop somewhere is my co-host, Joel McCall. Hello, hello. Yep, and this rain is wonderful. Yes, that and the lack of 100-degree temperature. Oh, yeah, exactly. We got kind of an interesting guest today, and I think people may recognize his voice as soon as he starts talking. At least they should if they're fans of any teams around here in Central Texas. Um, So without further ado, let me introduce Bill Schoenig. Afternoon, Bill. Good afternoon. Nice to be with you, fellas. Yeah, that's so, the voice right yeah. there. <laughs> How you doing, Bill? Uh, rocking and rolling, my friend. Just uh, taking it one day at a time, trying to get through the pandemic like everybody else. Uh, unfortunately, the Spurs didn't make the playoffs this year, so that gives me a lengthier offseason than normal, which is very strange because I've been with the team for 19 seasons. This is the first time they haven't made the playoffs. Uh, they made it 22 straight years, which is an NBA record. They tried to build up to 76 for that mark. So uh, now I'm just uh, writing more songs. And, uh, you know, all my songs, as you know, Joel, are million sellers. I've got yep. a million of them sellers. <laughs> it's a big seller, dude. <laughs> that is a, bit, a bunch of stuff down there. I've even got some that are trying to get out of the closet for some reason. So uh, I've got them everywhere. Well, going back to the playoffs, I want to uh, ask you a question. What was life in the bubble like? Well, I didn't go to the bubble. Uh, none of the local broadcasters went to Orlando. Uh, the local guys all stayed in their respective cities. We did our games from the arena, from the AT&T Center in San Antonio, where local television, uh, uh, my broadcast and our Spanish radio broadcast, all emanated from the arena, and they had it set up very nicely. We each had a, a large uh, 50-inch HDTV. Uh, TV had a couple of more bells and whistles because they did basically their broadcast. Uh, but it was very interesting. It was a little different because I had 41 years doing play-by-play. I had never done a remote broadcast. So it was something new for me. Uh, by the time the second or third game rolled around, we were pretty much uh, into the groove and, and back into it. And uh, it was almost like we were there. Was there any lag time between the action and the and the picture? I mean... Yeah. If you watch the game on television, we were about 15 seconds behind. Okay. But uh, I was just describing what I saw in front of me, and I wasn't worried too much about the delay that uh, someone else might have. But um, it, it was very interesting because you had to kind of learn where to look for certain things. I had my stat monitor. I had a statistician with me. I had my technician, my engineer. So um, I, I found myself relying on those guys a little bit more than I normally do because things were so different, at least at first. And then, like I said, by the second game, we pretty much got it down to a size. Nice. Nice. So tell us how you got into uh, broadcasting. Oh, wow. How long is this program? It's as long as you want to be. <laughs> um, when I was 10 years old growing up in Philadelphia, and as you guys know, if you follow sports at all, Philly is a big sports city with a lot of passion. Uh, but by the time I was 10, um, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and that is be on the radio and do games. Uh, I fell asleep one night listening to an announcer named Byron Thumb. Uh, he was an older guy, but he had a very melodic voice, very uh, sing-song type play-by-play on baseball, and I just loved him. And I remember falling asleep one night when the Phillies were out in San Francisco, a late night West Coast road trip. And, uh, of course, the Giants at the time had legendary names like Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and the Alou Brothers and Orlando Cepeda. And I just remember listening to all those names. And I just thought, this is what I want to do. 
I want people to fall asleep listening to me on the radio. And uh, unfortunately, that has come true. Many people fall asleep listening to me on the radio. Well, that's better than them falling asleep when you're playing music. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> uh, but my problem is a lot of people listen to me while they're driving their car. I don't want them falling asleep while they're listening to me driving the car. Yeah. So, I mean, you've not only done the Spurs, but you did the Longhorns for a while, right? Yeah, 12 seasons with the Longhorns. I like to say 36 seasons because it was 12 football, 12 basketball, and 12 baseball. Uh, and uh, in 01, I got a call from San Antonio, from the Spurs, and from their flagship station, WOAI. And it was like an old mafia movie. Uh, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. It was just uh, too good to turn down, especially when they said summer's off. I really enjoyed that part. So I went from having two weeks vacation to four months vacation. So uh, that was a no-brainer. Well, that had been your goal all along, though, was to have a pro position, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I had an opportunity to do some Major League Baseball. I had the opportunity to do some National Football League. Uh, in fact, I did a game at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, which was really cool. Uh, and uh, But when it came down to it, uh, the opportunity to go full-time with an NBA team, uh, it was really too good a, a job offer, like I said, to turn down. So I stayed in Austin. Uh, my wife's got a very good job uh, here in Austin. So uh, I've made the commute now for 19 years, which is an easier commute than most, most people will think because I didn't have to go down there every day to an office job. I just went down for the game and then also to uh, drive down and catch the plane to go elsewhere when the team was on the road. Nice. Go ahead, well, talk about uh, your, your learning experience to get to this point. Because obviously you don't just jump right into NCAA uh, <laughs> games. It was a long and winding road, Joel, to... Uh, oh, there's a song. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Work on that, Joel. That might be a hit. Okay. <laughs> um, I started the small market radio. Uh, I took the first job I could out of broadcasting school. When I graduated from broadcasting school, the American Academy of Broadcasting, Joel, you'll like their tagline that to get people to come to the school, it was, you want to learn how to sound like God? So I started <laughs> uh, And uh, I, anyway, for, for six months, I did a very extensive class uh, learning board ops, uh, you know, how to uh, write, how to plot up a record, uh, you know, run a, a four-channel mixer board, uh, all those things that you need in small market radio. And I got a job right away uh, in a little town in Illinois. I went there for about a year. There wasn't a lot of play-by-play opportunity there, so I did some high school basketball. I did a little junior college there for uh, a few ball games, uh, But I got enough on my tape uh, to uh, get a job doing high school football, basketball, and baseball out of West Texas. So I moved to a little town called La Mesa. Uh, I was there for three years where I was the voice of the La Mesa Golden Tornadoes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was getting a lot of experience. I wasn't making much money. Uh, but uh, that station did so much sports that um, I felt like a, a grizzled veteran by the age of 24. And I was good enough to get a college job at that time. That was Sam Houston State over in Huntsville, Texas. Uh, I was there for six years. I tell people I was in Huntsville for six years. They always ask me what I was in for. And uh, I wasn't mm-hmm. up and I was out. Uh, but I did go to death row a lot, believe it or not, because I had to cover the prison system. Okay, so i got to stop you right here. You told me a story one time of covering an execution that had me in stitches. And I was wondering <laughs> if, you, if you could give us a little sample of the execution coverage. <laughs> okay. Well, on a serious note, um, in order to do sports, I had to do news as well. So small market radio, that's the way it works. you got to wear many hats. 
and be skilled in a lot of different uh, things. So uh, I somehow got the news feed. So part of the news feed, obviously, if you're in Huntsville, is to cover the prison system, because that's where the prison system is based. So therefore, uh, I covered 29 lethal injections. <laughs> well, um, after one of the executions, uh, my boss asked me if we could get sponsorships for the execution coverage. And I thought that was a little problem. <laughs> so I suggested that, what shall we do here? Should we, you know, uh, uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the execution brought to you by Kentucky Fried Chicken. For that last meal, make it Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> Let, let's take a look at the standings. Texas leads Louisiana by three executions. Florida, they're in third place. There are five executions <laughs> off the page. But, you know, Florida, let's be honest, guys, they've been hurt the last few weeks by that last-minute appeal to the governor. <laughs> so we never actually got sponsorship for the execution coverage. I'm very happy about that. I am so glad to hear that. <laughs> That'd be a hard one to explain. But, yeah, so after that, you um, somehow wound up making your way to Austin? Yes. Uh, while I was in Huntsville, the last year I was there, I got an opportunity to do Texas A&M baseball. And uh, it's only 50 miles from Huntsville over to College Station. And it was just a little part-time thing, but the baseball team was really good. In mm -hmm. fact, they were number one in the country. Their star player was a guy named Chuck Knobloch, who later oh. played the New York Yankees to Minnesota Twins. He's a very good player. Didn't uh, he have a hard time throwing to first base? Yeah, he later he did. In fact, they moved him to second base from shortstop when he got to the majors. And he had just one of those mental hiccups where he had a hard time. Yeah. Uh, it was like the pitcher Steve Blass from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who's a great pitcher, lost the strike zone one time uh, and could never get it back. He could never throw a strike. It's a strange thing. But anyway, um, I was at uh, A&M just for uh, a real brief period of time. But while I was there, I got to know a guy named Tom Dore, who was the sports director at KLBJ in Austin. And uh, Tom had an opening that summer, and 65 guys applied for the job, and I got it. And uh, shortly after I got hired, Tom left to go be the voice of Missouri Tigers. And boom, I'm on the Longhorn Network. So uh, it, it worked out pretty quick. I, I was an overnight success after 10 years. Nice. So um, from there, you know, you, you told us how you got to the Spurs. Um, what's your regular season look like for the Spurs? I mean, how many out-of-town trips are you on? What do you, you know? Well, during regular times, Bob, these, of course, yes. are not a regular time, but uh, during a regular year, it'll be 82 games. Uh, we usually play about five or six preseason games, uh, and then 82 games, which are divided, you know, 41 on the road and 41 at home. Uh, the Spurs have a very unique situation in that during the month of February, we're out of town because the rodeo, the San Antonio Livestock Show and Rodeo, takes over our building. So they kick us out for about, you know, three weeks to a month. And so we have this extended road trip. Uh, thank goodness for us, the all-star break is during that time. So it's not like we're out on the road for a full month. Uh, we come back, and then we'll go back out again. Uh, but that's a very unique deal. So uh, as Joel knows, I've written three rodeo road trip songs. Uh, because on one of the road trips, I, I brought my guitar and just decided to, you know, strum and, and try to figure something out. So I wrote a song called 8,900 Miles, because that's how far we were going on that trip. And then I wrote one called Adios South Peter saying which is all the different ways to say goodbye in different languages because we were going to be gone for so long. And then a third one I wrote is called It's February. It's February, we're out on the road, you know, and um, so uh, that passed the time uh, along a little bit when you bring your guitar on the road. But 
Uh, those rodeo road trips are fun. And then, of course, the playoffs. So after the 82 games, but up until this year, the Spurs had made the playoffs each of my years. Uh, and so it's a little strange this year not to have them in the postseason, but they've been very consistent. They've got the best winning record in the entire NBA during my stretch with them. I have nothing to do with that, of course, but uh, it's been fun to be along for the ride. No, so that's one of the things that, um, you know, when I was reading up on you, uh, I noticed since you have an extended time off every year, you have a little hobby you like to play with, or I guess it's more than a hobby, kind of a passion, your music. Yeah, I, it, you know, in fact, Joel uh, helped me out a lot with this uh, because um, – you know, don't you go! Don't you go putting that blame on me, Bill. Yeah, Joel, Joel encouraged me, and if it wasn't for Joel, I probably wouldn't be a poor singer songwriter. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think we all have a passion for music, and um, I, I always like putting lyrics together. And uh, I've got some really good friends. One, one is a guy named Nick Whitworth. Joel, you know Nick. Uh, yeah. He's a worship leader at Bethany United Methodist Church uh, here in Austin. He's a very talented guy. Uh, play guitar, banjo, piano, keyboard. He's uh, everything he's player everything, and he's a really good producer you want that in a producer because if you want a certain sound in fact i just got out of the studio with him uh, joel i wrote a song about smoking joe frazier oh yeah uh, former heavyweight champion so we wanted to go back into the 70s get kind of a funky feel get a little collab going you know kind of like a cd wonder keyboard thing uh reminds me and now i'm not cd wonder don't get me wrong uh but uh kind of reminds me of um superstition a little bit that kind of nice uh, and I sent it to a friend of mine earlier today, and he said, hey, man, is that Billy Preston on keyboard? <laughs> uh, no, but uh, that, that's kind of the feel we're going for, a little Billy Preston. Deal. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, yesterday was Billy Preston's birthday. Oh, cool. The fifth Beatle, right? That's it. That's it. Yep. So I want to ask you, because there's one thing that just totally amazes me about the way you do your job. Now, this is going back to uh, uh, calling basketball. Okay. It's you. You do not have. Generally speaking, it's just you. You don't have a color guy with you. You are describing the entire game the entire time, and it is a nonstop game. And I'm just amazed at how you keep that picture moving. So, uh, kind of describe how that feels in your head. Well, I've been doing it for so long. It's kind of second nature. Uh, but caffeine is the credit. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I must admit that uh, I do the hot tea thing. I'm a, I'm a big into the hot tea. So I make sure that I get my uh, English breakfast uh, hot tea going. And uh, then I just you know, go because uh, with the 24-second shot clock in the NBA, there's really not a lot of time to get an analyst in there uh, on the radio. Uh, television's a lot different. The, the TV play-by-play guy can lay back. Let the picture tell the story. Let the analyst tell a story. I don't have that option. So I've got to pretty much do the play-by-play the whole time. I do have a very good studio analyst in, uh, or studio host in Chris Duell, Uh So I can throw it to him to break it up a little bit. But you know, when the action's going on, I'm basically describing it. Uh, but it's, it's something I've been doing for a long time. I've been doing basketball for 41 years now. So um, it, it's not really uh, a challenge to me. It was a challenge when we went and did the games remotely because that was something different I had never done before. Uh, but when it comes to just sitting down and describing the game, obviously prep work is very important, Joel. You can't go into a game cold. It's just like anything else. You've got to be prepared. So uh, that's where all the work really takes place is before the game, getting the lineup, getting the stats, the background information about each player, when they were drafted, where they went to school, that sort of thing. Uh, and that way you're armed and ready to go 
when you start the broadcast. Describing the game is really, to me anyway, the easy part. Cool. So out of the whole NBA, uh, all of the different radio teams, how many are just solo guys like you? Is, is that the majority of them? or? No, no. Mo- most guys have an analyst. Uh, I, think okay. there's only eight, I think there's eight guys in the league that don't have an analyst. So I'm one of those eight guys. So do you ask to get paid double? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, I have a couple of times tried to negotiate by the word to get paid by the word. <laughs> yeah. And that didn't work either. So, the good thing is we have these foreign guys. You know, we have a lot of international players. So I try to learn a little bit of their language. So I try to make the calls. Uh, you know, like Trade the in. Yeah, yeah. Trade the end for Tony Parker. Uh, Manu Ginobili. That's the Manu Trade. So we, I try to have some fun with it. We had a player from Serbia named Boban Marjanovic. I don't know why this happened, but in the preseason game, he slammed it down, a slam dunk. And I said, from Serbia with love. And uh, <laughs> I that, right? So after the game, I, I asked Boban, I said, hey, you know, like when you slammed it down, I said, from Serbia with love. Because these I like, I like these from Serbia with love. You keep saying that. I like that. So <laughs> Boban was 7'4 and 290. Boban, if you like it, I'll stick with it. That's okay. So, great guy. How much time and how hard is it to learn these foreign names? I mean, there that's, is. Some... That's, yeah, that's a good question, Joel. Um, it, it, there's usually a pronunciation guy that comes with uh, yeah, each game. Now, the guys in the NBA, I know. The real problem is the guys that we play in the preseason from foreign teams. Uh, for instance, uh, we played a team from Fenerbahce Ulker. That's in Istanbul. And we were actually over there to play them. And uh, their lineup included Mele Mamatolu. Natanya Bielitsa, Sarhat Sitten, Ogos Davas, and that's just the, the fun guys. Emir Prelbic was one of their players. Uh, we played a team from Greece, and their star player was Lakas Maraka Belitis. I'm pretty sure you're just making this up. Yeah. No, I can't make this up, you know. Uh, <laughs> they had a player, the Greek team had a player from Lithuania. His name was Tarunas Yasekevichis. So our Spanish play-by-play guy, Publio Castro, said to me, hey, hey, Billy, I don't know, how do you say this thing? <clears throat> I said, Yasa Kevichis. He said, is it like, yes, we have cabbages? I said, yeah, <laughs> like, yes, we have cabbages. So he was real proud of himself after the game. He came up and he goes, guess who had 16 points tonight? Yes, we have cabbages. <laughs> That's great. So That's since you've been in this for a number of years, I'm sure the layout of the studio has changed immensely over time. The studio, I'm not really in the studio. Well, yeah, your broadcast booth. Uh, Now, our location has changed. Um, A few years ago, the NBA allowed teams to sell those courtside seats. So radio, for the most part, got kicked upstairs, which is fine because I've done so many baseball and football games through the years. I'm not uncomfortable being upstairs. I think some of the older NBA guys that weren't used to being at mid-court level upstairs at the uh, concourse level, uh, they had a little harder time with it. Uh, but um, I can call the game. As long as I can see the game, I can call it. So um, I've got a, a little different vantage point. I'm up angled a little bit at home, but it's okay. No problems. I got used to it right away. And um, you got a lot more room up there. You can meet fans a little bit easier. So, yeah, to be honest, I'd rather be courtside, but I don't mind being upstairs at all. So uh, you, you and I are obviously have known each other for a while. It seems like the uh, – Broadcasting boat must be genetic. Tell, tell me about your boys. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Eric is the older boy. He never really got into broadcasting, but he did get into uh, meteorology. And uh, he's much smarter than me. He, he took physics. So I can't even spell physics. So, uh, but he's been with the National Weather Service now since uh, 07, so 13 years. 
And uh, he's doing a great job with them. He's been in Salt Lake City the whole time with them. Uh, my younger son, Carl, uh, he wears many hats. Uh, he's worked for Texas State in the athletic department doing uh, digital media. He'll be doing high school football this year at Georgetown High. Uh, he uh, co-owns um, a company called SHN Sports. And what they do is they live stream high school and college sports. Uh, so the Southwestern University Pirates, for instance, he did them last year. But unfortunately, Southwestern's not going to play football this fall. So uh, if they do it in the spring, Carl will probably be doing their games. So he's going to do Georgetown High School this year. Um, and uh, he also teaches yoga. Uh, so he, he's got a lot of different things going on. He's a multifaceted kind of guy. And he's living here in Austin? Uh, down at San Marcos. Yeah. Okay. He's in Texas State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. You get to uh, be father and the son. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I didn't even mention he does the Austin Spurs. So uh, that, that's the G League affiliate of the San Antonio right. Spurs. And they play out at the HEB Center in Cedar Park. And Carl's been part of their project. Nice. <laughs> so tell me about your music. You are incredibly prolific. <laughs> and uh, it seems like every time I go to Facebook, you, you have a new song. Well, that I may be an exaggeration, but I'm, I, I'm very happy to see you embrace that the way you do, because you you have a passion for it more than many people I know. Well, I think, Joel, uh, my background is in sports, but I've always had a lot of musician friends. Even before I picked up a guitar or thought about writing lyrics or anything like that, um, I've always had a lot of musician friends. Uh, A good friend of mine in Philadelphia, Ken Sweeter, is kind of a local legend there in Philly, uh, the singer-songwriter and uh, troubadour. So, um, as you know, and I've I'm really a big fan of singer-songwriters. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I love Texas music so much, because uh, KNBC out of New Braunfels, uh, for a long time, long before they had apps out and streaming services, I would listen to that station on the way down to San Antonio and hear great singer-songwriters like Robert Earl Keane and Jimmy LaFave and uh, a lot of Americana-type artists. So I get inspired when I hear good lyrics and a good melody. So uh, I like doing that. As I mentioned earlier, I've got a lot of musician friends who help me out with my songs. So if I come up with an idea or a hook or a melody, um, I'll, I'll try to write some lyrics down to match that melody, and then I'll call Mike Vasquez, who's a good guitar player, or Nick Whitworth, who's a great producer and piano player, uh, and say, hey, man, can you help me out with this? I got this going. So uh, so they've been awesome uh, in terms of uh, helping me uh, get some of this music out. And I so noticed you got that... my number. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. He needs I like help, stuff, Joel. Too, man. Not... <laughs> so um, I noticed your music, though, like you were saying, there's a lot of different influences and a lot of different styles that you like to play. Yeah, kind of yeah, all over the place. Uh, I grew up in Philly, so that, that Philly soul stuff kind of stuck with me. Uh, you know, the old Philly soul, Delphonic, Stylistic, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, Teddy Pendergrass, of course, I think, in my mind, is the most underrated soul singer ever, because I, I would put him in the top ten. I mean, seriously, right up there with Al Green and Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye, Teddy Pendergrass, in his prime, um, you know, is just he's one of my faves. Uh, I'm a little biased there because uh, he's a silly guy, but I uh, always liked him. And uh, then that evolved into kind of a, a singer-songwriter thing. I like Jackson Brown and Bruce Springsteen, uh, Al Stewart, not Rod Stewart, Al Stewart, although I like the faces, but I didn't like a lot of Rod's later stuff. But, you know, hot legs, really? Come on. So, uh, but I like his earlier, earlier stuff with faces, which is really cool. Uh, when Ian McLaughlin moved to Austin, I got to meet him, and, and uh, I didn't really hang with him very much, but I met him several times. And 
Uh, unfortunately, he unfortunately passed a few years ago, but uh, what, what a cool guy he was. Um, but uh, just to be able to, um, you know, have that background, and then I moved to Austin, and so much talent here. I mentioned Jimmy LeFevre earlier, and Jimmy and I became really good friends. Um, uh, I would get him in the ball games; he would get me into gigs. But uh, and I got him to sing backup on one of my songs, and uh, I thought it was great to have him singing backup on one of my tunes. But I paid for it dearly for the rest of his life because he died in seventeen. But anytime I went to one of his shows, uh, he would uh, really point me out and embarrass me and uh, say that the low point in his music career is when he sang backup for me. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's Jimmy. You uh, also, loved it. When I was first starting to write songs, I would call Jimmy on the phone and and you know bang out some basic chords. Hey, what do you think? And he'd always have the same response. I like where you're trying to go with that. Nice. <laughs> he was one of the nicest guys in the world, though. I mean, something that really um, had just a kind of a moment that touched me one time that I had with him was um, I. After I moved down here to Austin, I was the president of the Oklahoma State uh, Alumni Association for a couple of years. One time I was up in Stillwater, and I walk into one of the local restaurants there. Since you know some of the restaurants there, it was Hideaway Pizza. And so I'm walking in there, and I hear this voice call my name out, and I look over, and it's Jimmy LaFave. And I'm thinking, how do you know who I am? You know, and he says, well, you're the president of the OSU Alumni Association. I said, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how, still, how do you know me? He goes, well, I've been to a couple of events because I would have seen him, you know, usually if he was there. And sure. he, you know, somehow he remembered who I was. And I was like, wow. So that really kind of touched me that, you know, that he would take the time to remember somebody like me. Yeah. You know, Bob, I, I miss him a great deal. He was a great guy. Um, and he was a big OSU fan. And I remember one game, I got him tickets. It was a Texas OSU game at Memorial Stadium in Austin. And it was a real hot day, and OSU got their tail kicked uh, in that particular game. And I think Texas might have scored like 72 points. And uh, he gave me a tongue lashing after the game. It was my fault that Texas rounded up on, on OSU. Uh, but uh, my favorite Jimmy story is um, he was having a hard time. He was on tour. And he couldn't understand the people in New England very well. And he was in Worcester, Mass. And he was having lunch with his bass player. And the waitress came over. And he was going to play a gig that night. And he wasn't sure whether it was Worcester sauce or Worcester or Worcester or Worcester. How do you say this town's name? So uh, he called the uh, waitress over and said, excuse me, could you very slowly tell me the name of this place? And she said, sure, Pizza Hut. <laughs> So I have a question for you about that game. Was that when James Brown was around as a quarterback? It was right around. It was right around that time, Bob. You know, my memory kind of goes in and out with games from back then because I've done so many games since. But it was right around that era. You know, it would have been the mid '90s, mid to late '90s. Yeah. Yeah. So I I remember that game because yes, it was a blowout. But then when they came to Stillwater next year, James Brown made the mistake of saying, "Oh, we could have hung hung a hundred points on him." Oh, not yeah. good. Yeah. And uh, just so happened on that game, I had seats on the 20-yard line, and after kickoff, Texas had the ball, and the entire Oklahoma State defense was in the backfield. <laughs> and that guy didn't have – I mean, yeah. he didn't have a second all night long. It was just – it's like, thanks, James, for the motivation. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens. Of course, um, 
it helped James, though, in that uh, the first Big 12 championship game, Texas played Nebraska, and Nebraska was favored by 20 points. So uh, they asked James about that, and he says, well, maybe we should be favored by three touchdowns. Of course, that was the 37-27 game, uh, the famous roll left if you followed uh, Big 12 mm-hmm. history at all. But um, really one of my fond memories of doing Texas football all during that period of time was that particular game because nobody gave Texas much of a chance. Uh, the game was played up in St. Louis at the uh, at the time, the TWA Dome. That building the name several things, but uh, and the crowd was 90% um, uh, Nebraska, and uh, there weren't very good odds at all for the um, for the uh, horns in that game. But they came back and won that game, and it was a great football game. And Texas uh, went on to the Fiesta Bowl to play Penn State that year. That was McIntyre, right? That was John Mackovic, yeah, probably his uh, shining moment, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. That, that, that bought him another year. <laughs> well, you know, the following year in 97, they lost at home to UCLA 66 to 3. Quick story, quick story about that game. It was the longest day in, in my life, I think. Well, the next morning, I was flying to Arlington. I was the backup Rangers guy, and the Rangers were playing the Minnesota Twins late season in September, and the Twins beat the Rangers the next day 11 to 1. So Burke Wylevin, the great pitcher, was doing color for Twins TV. He found out I was the voice of the Longhorn. So during the course of the game, he was in the booth right next to mine. He hung up articles from the Dallas Morning News about 66 to 3 during the entire game. And then he would tap the window to show me that he put another article there. Well, at the end of the day, the Twins beat the Rangers 11 to 1, so he makes a homemade sign. It says, nice weekend, Bill, 77 to 4. That's awesome. That's great. You know, one of the funniest stories you told me was that very first year you started with the uh, Spurs, you were kind of transitioning out of the Longhorns and and doing the Spurs, and you were still doing both before they showed you the door. Uh, <laughs> but... You said, it, it, Joel, it's really strange. I, we, we would go to New York City. We're staying at the Plaza Hotel and it's like go down, ta- go downstairs, turn right, get on the bus. And then I fly home and I go do a UT basketball game in Stillwater. It's get in the rental car, go to the swine barn and turn left. <laughs> <laughs> That's the true. <laughs> that, that was the direction. Uh, yeah. That literally was one of the hotels we stayed at in Stillwater. The direction was make a right at the swine farm. So yeah. uh, I, I guess I moved up in class when we started staying at the plaza instead of uh, staying near the swine farm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that first year they gave me the option, and I wanted to continue doing football that one year uh, because I really felt like they had a chance at the national championship, and they did. Uh, but they lost to Colorado in the Big 12 championship game. Had they won that game, they would have played the University of Florida for the national championship. So uh, they did beat the University of Washington in the final game I broadcast out in San Diego. That was Major Applewhite's uh, greatest game. Mm-hmm. He had uh, only 463 yards passing with the time of the school record. So, um, and in fact, Major was our last guest. And that was the last thing I did on the Longhorn Network. And I was sitting with Major. Um, I said, um, you know, thanks, Major, for, you know, uh, a memorable four years, ma- making my time memorable. And he said, well, I can see the headline in the Austin American States for tomorrow. Shoning uh, and Applewhite wide off of the sunset together. I said, you know, Major, I think it's going to be Applewhite and Shonen. I think they're going to give you first filling that you just passed over 400 yards and a comeback victory, and uh, I'll be on the back page. 
Well, the, it's something with you two leaving may have caused a problem with this team. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, they won the national championship a few years later, so it couldn't have been too bad. Sure. Some guy named McCoy. Uh, yeah, no, it's Vince Young. Well, the Colt, Colt is the one that, that kept him afloat. Right. Right, after Vince Young, yep. Yeah. See, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Joel, it's funny because uh, one of the things I really miss about uh, doing Texas is, is the Texas OU game every week. Every uh-huh. year. Yeah. Uh, and seriously, that that was so much fun. And um, obviously, it's uh, it's very unique where they divide the, you know, the cotton bowl at the 50-yard line. So uh, that's one of the things I really do miss about Longhorn football is that uh, playing the Sooners every year. Well, it's it's an event. It, it's like it's like a bucket list thing, you know. Yeah. Army, Navy, uh, OU, Texas. Uh, maybe Auburn, Alabama. Yeah. 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 So I put that up there. But yeah, people, I, I tell people this all the time. Even if you have no rooting interest, whether you don't like the Sooners or the Longhorns. Go to a game and just experience it, you know, yeah. because it's very, very unique. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, this year, who knows what's going to happen as far as the crowd's concerned. But, um, you know, back in normal times, it makes you appreciate things, doesn't it? A little bit more, this whole thing that we're going oh. through right now. Uh, you know, I, I miss so many things. So um, hopefully uh, we'll be able to get back on track here soon. Yeah. So any, any predictions what this whole – pandemic thing is going to do to the future of collegiate sports number one yeah and number two what is your take on likeness image and name well i think that players get a scholarship which is good i don't think that uh university athletic department should be able to sell a jersey with number 10 on it and and the name of the player uh, and they just bring in all the money. I think that player deserves a, a, a piece of the pie there, for sure. Um, but I think, unfortunately, what's going to happen here, Joel, and Stanford has already done this, um, a lot of these universities sponsor a lot of sports, and the, the sports don't make money. And, unfortunately, swimming and volleyball and, and some, maybe not so much volleyball, because I think volleyball in some, in some schools uh, does uh, draw crowds. Uh, but I think some of these so-called minor sports unfortunately might get uh, canned uh, because uh, the athletic department is going to have to cut their budget some way. I know UT is cutting their budget, and, and they've got a lot of money. So um, some of these smaller athletic departments, I can see, unfortunately, um, not being able to keep some of these uh, other so-called minor sports, and, and that's really unfortunate. Yeah. I saw where Tom Herman's salary was cut by $900,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So- that that's just part of uh, you know what we're, we're, we're going to have moving forward. You know there might be some belt tightening going on. Is there that's a hell of a belt? Yeah. <laughs> you know on that paying the players thing, I keep thinking, you know, the superstars are going to get all these money, but all this money, but you've got a lot of guys on the team. You know, nobody's going to buy the Senders jersey. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> is there a right. way to spread the wealth out across the, the different players because? It's just by virtue of position, some of them are not going to get, you know, any recognition. Yeah, yeah, that's a real slippery slope, isn't it? I mean, you just don't know where to draw the line. Um, I do think that the players that have their image or likeness, um, you know, sold, that uh, they deserve that. Also, it'll be interesting to see, if, especially in a market like Austin, where people tend to know the starting quarterback, for instance, you know, if, you can just see a guy like Sam Elliger saying, Hi, I'm Sam Elliger. Buy a truck from 
you know, Maxwell Ford or whatever. Uh, and, uh, of course, players uh, at the amateur level, quote, unquote, uh, unable to do that until now. And so it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing evolves. Well, and I just read an interesting article that even if you're not a star, you but you played varsity sports enough to where you got on the field, uh, there's a certain amount of, of panache that goes with that. You know, you, you should be able to ha- use that to a certain advantage. You know, blah, 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 former center for the Texas Longhorns, you know, w- will help you in future endeavors. So you have that. You know, and just like amateurs going into the pros, what, 5%, 1% have that opportunity? So it's kind of the same way with the image and likeness. There's a very small percentage that are going to be able to cash in. Yeah, that's exactly right, Joel. And, of course, some of these revenue sports, you know, football and basketball being revenue sports, uh, I think baseball probably uh, turned the profit for Texas, I would imagine. But in a lot of schools, uh, baseball doesn't draw very well. Uh, I remember the first time I was doing Texas at Kansas State. True story. Um, it was a cold day up at Kansas State. We're used to having 5,000 people in the stands at this ball field. And uh, the Longhorns are playing um, State State. And it's a cold day up there in Manhattan. And literally 58 people were in the stands. And, uh, uh, so I said, uh, welcome to the back of the ballpark where literally dozens are on hand here. And uh, anyway, my producer between innings says, hey, can you turn the crowd noise up? And he <laughs> was by part of the time. He goes, we would turn the crowd noise up if there was a crowd. <laughs> yeah, and they were I, making noise. <laughs> yeah, right. they were making some noise down there. Like, put in some sound effects. So, uh, so you know, baseball is a little different than um, it is in Texas than it is a lot of so I can see, unfortunately, maybe some schools dropping baseball as well. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. So yeah. as Joel was asking earlier, um, I wanted to revisit that, you know, because of the way the season's messed up, and now you've got some guys playing fall, some guys playing spring possibly. You know, what's that going to do to recruiting for the NFL? Oh, wow. It, you know, these are all questions that um, I'm sure that the personnel people are going to have to take a look at uh, because, uh, you know, some – Teams aren't playing at all. You know, the, the right. Big Ten right now, unless things have changed in the last 24 hours, and maybe they will eventually play some sort of a schedule. But uh, I would imagine that's going to make uh, scouting a lot more difficult. There's going to be a lot more use of uh, videotape, uh, streaming, all of the uh, technology things that we're learning about now with uh, COVID. Uh, you know, the way we're doing this interview, you know, the way we do meetings anymore. Um, all of these things we've had to kind of learn on the fly, you know. And uh, I heard that 2020 is the year of adapt and adjust, and that's what we're doing. So uh, that's certainly true in athletics. There's no question about that. Yeah, because I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, this weekend we're getting ready to start college football. But then I'm thinking, well, how long is it going to go this year? Are we going to have a bowl champ- you know, bowl championship series? Are we going to have any kind of bowls? What are we going to do? Right. Well, I, I was going to start from football. I came in uh, from a, a road trip. I went up to um, Colorado to visit the National Park. Uh, Rocky Mountain, and I came back, and uh, I, this is how bad it was, I was, how bad I was missing football. I watched the Central Arkansas Austin P game. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> yeah, did you? Yeah. And, and, of course, it was a very small crowd, but uh, part of the crowd there, uh, pulling for the governors of Austin P, were shouting, let's go P, let's go P. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> So, okay, so you're uh, 
I, I follow you on Facebook, and you seem to have this penchant, this goal of visiting every national park. <laughs> I don't know if we'll get to all 58 of them I think we have now, because it changes all the time. I've been to 24, so I've been less than half. But um, the, the goal is to try to get to as many as I can. Um, I love the national parks. I didn't even start visiting the national parks until about 20 years ago, right around the time I got the first job. And I just have fallen in love with these places. Uh, the Theodore Roosevelt's idea, um, Ken Burns says the best idea America ever had uh, to protect these lands, uh, these beautiful animals, uh, streams, mountains, waterfalls. Uh, I love hiking. So uh, I think growing up in the confines of the inner city, uh, once I tasted some of this, I, I really kind of got addicted to it because it's just an awesome place to go and you know, find yourself, really, and uh, you can get inspired, whatever your inspiration is. But uh, I love getting out there in the open and just, um, you know, and seeing all these beautiful lands that we have. Can you name your top three? Yes. Glacier National Park in Montana uh, is number one. Denali National Park in Alaska, uh, which is bigger than Massachusetts, by the way. That, that's how big uh, that place is. And then the one I just visited, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park yeah. in Colorado. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, a lot of room to roam, and uh, it's all great wildlife there. Uh, you know, elk and buffalo and moose and all, all kinds of stuff that's going on there. Have you been to Acadia? Yes, that's one of my favorites as well. Last summer, uh, and I hiked the top of Cadillac Mountain. Really? Uh, yeah, which was uh, a bit of a struggle, I will admit, uh, because I was at 60 at the time. Uh, but we just took our time, went up that mountain, and um, it, it was it was worth it. It was a beautiful place. Uh, Love Bar Harbor, Maine. Great sunsets and sunrises. And um, uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. I love New England. Uh, uh, the most underrated state, in my opinion, is New Hampshire. Um, I really enjoyed my time in New Hampshire and, and in Maine, uh, all, all through New England. Um, I've been very, very lucky. One of the things about the first job uh, with this time off in the summer, uh, able to travel. Uh, so I got to all 50. I joined the 50 Club in 2013. When I finally made it to Alaska. So, are you, are Joel, are you close? Yeah. That's North Dakota. Yep. That's the toughest one to get to. So, yeah. if you go to North Dakota, uh, go out west and see the Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Ooh. Uh, it, it's the most remote park I've ever been to. It's the only place where I pulled in the parking lot and there was nobody there, literally. So, I went to the visitor center and they said, if you do any hikes, let us know the hikes that you're on. Because there's nobody else out here. I mean, if, if you fall or get lost, we, we have to know where you are, what, what trail you're on. Wow. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So that was the only place that uh, that's ever happened. Uh, and that's in western North Dakota, a little town called Medora, North Dakota. So I uh, hope you get a chance to go there and complete your 50. Well, I would love it. My wife and I have this uh, pipe dream plan of buying a camper Nice. And going to all the national parks and then playing open mics wherever we go. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. That, that sounds so, like a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, why don't you come with me? We'll be uh, Bill Shoning and the Show Dogs. There you go. And we'll play far, far away. Just as far away as we can get. <laughs> exactly right. I'll tell you what. Um, Bill's got some music and we want to talk to him about it. But um, I think if I prompt him he might send me a song and we'll just cut it in here as we take ourselves a quick little break sure sure 
now he's on his way As he starts to wander All around this town He feels the Philly rhythm All that's going down Here comes Smoke and Joe Left hooks he is throwing Climbing up the ranks To the title he is going in the sun lessons that will last until the fight is done as you start to ponder the legends of the ring don't forget Joe Frazier heart and toughness he would bring here comes smoke and Joe Left hooks he is throwing Climbing up the ranks To the title he is going So that was Bill Schoening, and we're here talking to him. So we want to find out a little more about him. Um, obviously, um, you know, we have some deadlines coming up, and um, so we want to ask him a few questions, but maybe we'll bring him back and explore in depth a little more about some of these these other passions. But I did want to touch on the music again. And so what do you, what do you, what are your hopes for your music? When you do uh, you know, I, I really have, I have no hopes at all. Anything I do musically is, is a hobby. Um, I, I, what I would love to do, kind of a pipe dream, would be for someone somewhere to record one of my songs. Uh, that that would be awesome. Uh, but uh, maybe I need to hire an agent to do that. I'm not sure. Cause, um, but I think some of the songs are decent, you know, whatever. Uh, but I really just do it as a hobby, as something to do and something I enjoy doing and getting with other musicians and uh, trying to create something. Um, and that, that's basically why I do it. Uh, it, it gives me something to do and, and I've always had a passion for music. So, uh, the ability to create some lyrics and, and, uh, give my, if there's a message in a song, I've written some with messages, some not, but it's just an opportunity to, to do that and really have some fun with it. That's, that's really all I do it for. Yeah. And, and you said you've been collaborating with some different people and stuff like that. So it's a chance to probably share a little camaraderie and do that. Absolutely. You know, and it's one of the things that I miss about Austin is the live, it's the live music capital of the world. Um, and Joel, you know that I'm good friends with a guy named Bruce Spellman. And uh, Bruce is the lead singer for Extreme Heat, which is a funky band here in town. Fantastic they, band. They are. And they've been together since 1977. So that's my other uh, job during the off season. I am their MC when they play their monthly gigs. Uh, and unfortunately, they've just closed the one-to-one bar on South Lamar, which is one of my favorite venues. Uh, because yeah. there was parking there and also a big stage and the dance floor. And, uh, I really enjoyed that place. Hopefully it'll be able to come back after all this, but, um, 
Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite bands to go see in Austin. Uh, there's so many cool venues. I just hope that uh, these places can stay open um, you know, once we open back up because um, I, I know it's going to be a little different. I know things are, aren't going to be the same ever again, but um, you know, the Austin music scene, of course, is it's so important to those of us who have been around here for a while. I want to ask you one last basketball question. Tell me what you think of Greg Popovich. He's an interesting guy. Um, he's a multi-layered guy. Uh, and I think that, you know, my best conversations with Pop, and I've said this a few times, uh, has come uh, away from the court when he's not talking about basketball. Because, you know, that's his job. But he is a guy that's got so many other interests. And, for instance, when he found out that we were going to go to uh, Istanbul and Berlin in 2014, he came back to me in the back of the plane because he knew that I'd be excited about going over there because I'd never been to Germany. Uh, I speak a little German. And um, so he was real excited about that. Uh, he gets very enthusiastic about things other than basketball, wine, travel, food. He, he's got all these different layers. Um, I, I've given us World War II books that we've read. Um, so he's got all these other things that uh, make him an interesting, multi-layered kind of guy. Obviously, he's been at the forefront of all the social issues, uh, all these things going on right now in the country. Uh, he's been very outspoken about that in support of his players. Um, and I think that uh, you know, because of all those things, um, you know, Pop is just a guy that uh, if I asked him about pick and roll defense, he probably wouldn't be very enthusiastic in answering the question. But if I asked him about that new uh, Chardonnay that's unoaked coming out of the lower valley, uh, he might uh, go for five minutes to talk about that. <laughs> nice, nice. Cool. So um, one of the things we do on here, one I, one more question I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about. You uh, wrote a book during this pandemic? Yeah, I had so many stories that it were accumulating, and uh, people have been telling me, yeah, you should write a book. And uh, I kind of laughed it off. But then all of a sudden I've got X amount of time in front of me. I didn't know how much time I had in front of me, so – I just sat down in front of the computer screen and started writing, and I, I did a little different. And instead of a, a true memoir where I just tell my story, I just tell 100 stories about my story. So basically 100 things that happened to me during my life. Uh, for instance, the first story in the book is my first memory, and that was when I was five years old. I was with my mom, and we went shopping up on Elmwood Avenue in Southwest Philly, and that's when we found out that President Kennedy had been shot. Uh, I was only five years of age, and I remember that very well because my mom was very upset, being an Irish Catholic like the president. Uh, we ran home, watched all the news programs, and about 3 o'clock, 3.30, uh, I used to always have Cast for the Friendly Ghost and the cartoons come on, and the cartoons didn't come on that day. And I remember asking my mom, how come the cartoons aren't coming on? She said, because this is history. And I always remember that, and that's probably the earliest recollection I have of my entire life President Kennedy getting Wow. Um, so you know, there's a million things I'd love to talk to you about, and so I think we're going to have to have you back on, but we have to ask some questions about your experience coming to Austin before we let you go this sure. evening. So um, what when you first got to Austin, what was your first impression? I loved Austin from the minute I got here. Uh, I had been coming here for a number of years because I'd lived in uh, Texas, uh, three years in West Texas and six years in Huntsville. So I've been to Austin a number of times during those nine years. Uh, but to move here in 89, when things were really hopping and really happening, was great. KLBJ had just moved into a new studio out on Runberg on uh, 35 in Runberg. Mm -hmm. 
So I was excited to work in that facility because I'd worked in small market radio and not had uh, that type of equipment to work with before. Uh, and then, of course, the chance to cover the University of Texas uh, after covering Sam Houston State. Not that I, I didn't love Sam Houston State, I did, but it was a big step up, obviously, covering a, a different level of athletics. So uh, for all those things, and of course, in the live music, you know, going to places like the Cactus Cafe uh, and the old Chicago House and uh, all the different uh, music venues, and of course, the Saxon Pub and the Continental Club, uh, all those places. And there's the big music festivals at the time, Aquafest. <laughs> I just got a chance to go on stage, I think it was 91 or 92, and introduce uh, C.J. Schneer and the Red Hot Louisiana Band. They had a Kingston night going on at Aquafest. And I remember saying to CJ, I'm, I'm the MC. Is there anything you want me to say? He goes, just make sure you say we're from Lafayette. We're not from Baton Rouge. We're not from New Orleans. We're from Lafayette, Louisiana. I said, I got it. I know where Lafayette is. So, um, so I, I just remember certain things about that and, uh, getting to see so many great artists, uh, at Aquafest and different venues around town. Uh, so, uh, it was a combination of sports and music, two of the things that I really have a passion for, uh, really coming to the forefront here in Austin, Texas. So our next question I want to ask you is, um, and I'm going to ask you in two parts because you're going to have probably two different stories for us. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in Austin? <laughs> uh, now, uh, Leslie sightings, do they count? I just, just walking down the street seeing a guy in a thong. Uh, that doesn't happen every day in, in most places. In Austin, it uh, does. In Austin, it does, yeah. So uh, I, I saw a great T-shirt um, in um, Austin. And it wasn't keep Austin weird. It was keep Lubbock flat. So <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, up in, uh, I'm not far from Pflugerville. I live in North Austin. And in Pflugerville, which of course is just south of Round Rock, there's a bumper sticker going around. And it says Pflugerville between a rock and a weird place. Ah. Nice. So the other part of this question I want to ask you specifically because it's you, what's the weirdest thing you've seen in sports? Oh, wow. Weirdest? Weirdest. Man, there are a lot of a lot of strange things have happened. Um, I, I I don't know if I can specifically recall any kind of crazy. I never saw a streaker come out of the field or anything like that. I can tell you one quick story. Uh, Sam Houston State, my old school, played Texas in baseball, and the baseball coach at Sam Houston State, uh, John Peters, was his name at the time. Uh, he asked me if I would give an inspirational speech to his ball club because they were a little bit nervous playing the big, bad Texas Longhorns baseball field. There's going to be 5,000 people at the game, and they weren't used to that. So uh, after batting practice, I took the team down the right field line, about 45 guys, I guess, and I gave them about a three-minute tech speech, uh, telling them they could hang with Longhorns. And then I went out there, and a guy named Bo Hale was sticking to the Longhorns. He threw a no-hitter. It was the first no-hitter <laughs> no in Big 12 history. I got to call the game on the radio, and Rick Barnes, the basketball coach in Texas at the time, heard that I gave the inspirational speech to the team that didn't get a hit. So he never let me forget that. Fact, so you can't, you're not allowed to talk to any of my players, but this is the way you inspire people. That's <laughs> and awesome. And I don't even think they got a ball. I think there might have been one fly ball to the outfield. They didn't even get a ball out of the infield. So wow. I clearly was a very good inspiration for those guys before that game. No, you were kind awesome. of a psych-out coach, apparently. <laughs> 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 so, um, you know, the last one we'll ask you tonight um, is if somebody wanted to move to Austin, what would be, other than the word don't, what would be the advice you would give them? Wow. Well, you know, um, are you from California? Uh, is, there any, <laughs> is there any room left under the Hollywood sign? Uh, 
<laughs> I, I still love it here. I, I know there are a lot of people that have kind of given up on Austin a little bit and said it's lost some of its charm, and, and some of that might be true. And I'm hoping, as I mentioned earlier, that through the pandemic we can get back to live music. Uh, but uh, I, I live a half a block from a hike and bike trail. Um, I can, in, in five minutes, go find some live music somewhere. I can get up to Round Rock in Georgetown. So uh, I'm close to a lot of areas outside of Austin. I still love going to the town and listening to music and hanging out and walking around downtown. Uh, but I love the area. I love being able to, in an hour's drive, go over to Fredericksburg and hang out uh, and see the Nimitz Museum and speak a little German to some of the merchants down on Main Street. So uh, I've become a real Texan. I mean, I've been in Texas since 1980. Uh, even though I, I didn't grow up here, I, I moved here when I was 21 years of age. And, uh, I would imagine I'm going to die here. So um, uh, Austin's just not Austin. It's the whole area. Uh, I love New Braunfels and Green and going down to San Antonio. So I think we're in a good spot here. Uh, and I think that there are a lot of things to do. There's a lot of nature trails. I like hiking. So there's a lot of things to do uh, in the general area, not just in Austin, but uh, also in the surrounding areas as well. Yeah. No, that's nice. Um, it's a great place to take advantage of. Well, like I said, I want to be respectful of your time, and we'll um, we'll have you back on again, talk some more, because I, I bet you've seen some weirder things in sports than your <laughs> stories. <laughs> we'll come back so and so revisit that. Like so give me a chest. So give me a chest. That's a podcast, dude. You can say anything you want. Yep. <laughs> this, is, this isn't the horn. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to have some producer hey. running in the in the room yelling, what the hell did you just do? <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Great so, to see you, Bill. Um, hey, great so, to have me on. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, thanks very much. Yeah, so for uh, Bill Schoenig, uh, Joel McCall, and myself, uh, we'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>